Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 302 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. It is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. The Silver King is back to break down all things AEW and NXT. You have AEW moving into their double or nothing pay-per-view at the end of the month. And of course, NXT is putting together a card for a special in your house show that will air on television in the coming weeks. Joining me today for the AEW portion of this podcast is none other than vintage Chris Vanini. We will get to him in a moment because I need to begin this episode the way I do every episode of Getting Over by reminding you that this podcast So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this show. Every single time we get a brand new five-star review, The Silver King reads it live on the show. And we got another one recently from C. Philly, a great pro wrestling podcast, three exclamation points. I found this podcast a little over six months ago, and I never miss an episode. Adam and Chris do a fantastic job of reviewing and critiquing the current product. The drops are hilarious and always well-timed. I will continue to be a loyal listener. These guys do a great job. Keep it up. Three more exclamation points. Thank you, C. Philly, for that very kind review. And thank all of you in the past who have left five-star ratings and reviews here. But look, as I always say, I know how many people listen and I know how many reviews we have. Those numbers are nowhere near uh, equal. So please, if you listen, if you listen consistently, drop that five-star. It means a lot to us. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, where you get live reactions to the major wrestling shows, free live audio on Twitter spaces, the ability to participate in polls, and much, much more. But that is uh, it for the intro today. Chris and I both have extremely busy schedules this particular Thursday through, uh, at least I can speak for myself, the end of the weekend. So we are going to move, what is that word I always use? Expeditiously through this edition of Getting Over. Chris, welcome back to your second straight Thursday show. This is a record, I think. Has this has this ever happened before? I don't know about two in a row, but look, I, I saw a lot of people uh, enjoyed having me on for the AW NXT show. I mean, I so I don't know I, why. I, I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, get it. Yeah. So I, I was like, all right, let's uh, let, let's do it. I wanted to talk about the MJF issue, which we'll get into. I, I typically watch Dynamite. Um, and so uh, I, I said, hey, I, I can come on the show. Or I think you asked me. I don't remember who, who started it. But so we were like, OK, yeah, let, let's let's do it. And then while Dynamite's going on, some <laughs> college football news just blows up, continues to blow up this morning with the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher war of words and so suddenly we had to scramble to find time to fit in this podcast but uh definitely happy to be here and and, and talk talk AEW. that's the wild thing about like our jobs they're slightly different and of course we work for different organizations but when something happens in college football it affects both of us and this is far from the first time it has happened in a situation where we needed to tape a show or we were trying to find time to tape a show and it just completely threw us for a loop so yeah last night i mean i'll tell you guys just personally I'm dealing with like a, some type of back issue, which is brand new to me. Nothing that's ever happened before. And so I'm struggling through life right now. And last night I'm sitting down, I'm watching Dynamite. I have a beer. I'm pretty relaxed. I'm taking notes for the show. 
And then this happens. And I just like, I felt my back tense up and my shoulders. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm now stressed. I have so much more work to do. Um, you know, this doesn't work. This is fun. We do this on the side. But still, you know, when there's things in your life that you're planning for, it's always difficult when other things interrupt them. So I'm kind of happy, actually, that we get to do the show right now because I'm turning my brain off in terms of like sports and like real life and giving us the opportunity to talk professional wrestling here. And sports entertainment, sports entertainment. And yeah, professional wrestling and sports entertainment here on the Getting Over Professional Wrestling Podcast. Chris, uh, we're going to do today's show in a slightly different format than what we normally do. We're still going to talk AEW and NXT consecutively and separately. So feel free to hit the episode description for timestamps for both of those segments. But we are going to begin with a singular main event topic because something is currently happening in the world of AEW that deserves a little bit of extra attention. So as I always begin our Tuesday WWE shows, let's on a rare occasion begin this Thursday AEW and NXT show by sliding into the main event. And today's main event is very simply MJF, one of AEW's biggest stars in terms of people who uh, garner attention and fanfare on their programming. MJF wants his contract reworked and Tony Khan doesn't really seem to be having it. So there were multiple reports over the last couple of months, actually, that AEW is somewhat balking at giving MJF a raise is the best way to put it. We've, of course, seen him discuss becoming a free agent and legitimately considering WWE as an option multiple times over the last probably six months. And that's mostly kind of done in kayfabe, given his free agency is still two years out. But it's also mixed with a bit of obvious reality, given his dissatisfaction with what he's being paid and WWE's obvious interest. I mean, it's not like they've made their interest public, but you know, any moron knows that WWE is going to be interested in MJF when his contract ends, whether it's because they like him or whether it's because they want to take a really big name away from AEW. But business picked up with a report this past week, Chris, that MJF is more than just unhappy, but actively bothered by his contract situation. Fightful reported that he asked Tony Khan for a substantial raise, which Khan is willing to give him, but only if he extends his contract. MJF obviously doesn't want to do that because his goal is to hit free agency and maximize his next deal at age 28 with WWE doing a heavy bid for him, presumably at that time. And this situation has really brought out some interesting responses that are notably divergent, let's say, from the takes that we normally see when WWE talent faces similar circumstances. The vast majority of AEW fans that I'm seeing, at least people who responded to me on Twitter, things I read anonymously on Reddit, etc., seem to be on the side of Tony Khan and AEW, which goes back to what I've talked about for three years now, Chris, that Khan and AEW have made themselves into baby faces for their diehard fans, and they put themselves in a situation where they can basically do no wrong, and rather than the customer is always right or the talent is always right. It's like the company is always right. But the truth is, they're not right here. And Khan needs to take care of MJF. AEW cannot be promoting this guy as one of its four pillars, really the number one pillar that they have, making making him the top heel in the company 
with a very long-term extended storyline that presumably will end with him finally winning the AEW World Championship. Frequently having him be the most entertaining thing on the show, while simultaneously thinking it's okay to pay him a rate that is not at the main event level. Now, I'm not saying he deserves CM Punk and Brian Danielson money, but there's a tier immediately below that that he should probably be in. So sure, Tony is ready to give him more, but he's only willing to do that on his own terms. And that's not really the way that you treat top tier talent, especially when you're building a company and trying to convince stars from WWE to sign up with you. Because let's be honest, they've signed a lot of WWE talent. Some of them are thriving. Many of them are no better off than they were in WWE. And Chris, you and I, we come from the world of sports, mostly collegiate sports, as we kind of discussed. But professional athletes renegotiate their current deals all the time without adding years. Now, why do owners allow that to happen? Yeah, athletes have a union, they can sit out games, but they also would get fined and lose salary if they do that. The reason why owners do it is they want the talent, the athletes to be happy, and they want to create goodwill for when their contracts come up and those owners and those teams want to re-sign them. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. That's the risk you take. But Khan has an opportunity here to show his entire roster and the entire WWE roster that he takes care of his guys when they deserve it and not doing so for a guy who is clearly outperforming his contract to me is a very bad look. It's, I, I, I think we're, we're, all, we're all kind of looking at this situation in what is still, I think, mid-negotiation. He, he's still got two years left. They're not up against the clock. This is going to be a long process and, and continues to be. So this is not the final, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't think it's guaranteed that both sides have staked out their sides and they're not getting any closer and they can't get any closer on anything. But at the moment... MJF absolutely deserves to be paid quite a bit more. I remember the first time he came out on, was it Double or Nothing was their first show? And uh, I had seen All In, but I was just barely getting kind of getting into that side of wrestling mm-hmm. at the time. But the first time that that MJF pops up, I was like, you could just tell him, like, this dude's a star. Like, this guy is just different compared to a lot of the other people on the roster. And he has he has played that out ever since. And, and he has he is their top young star. He is the number one pillar more than Jungle Boy, more than Darby Allen, more than I don't remember who the other one was. Um, MJF is the future of the company. And you got to you have to treat him that way. Look, we, we support the workers here. That aspect that you mentioned of the fans are rallying around Tony Khan, or at least a section of the fans are behind Tony Khan is exactly what billionaire owners want you to do. It's the exact exactly. same thing owners do with, with players yep. when there's a strike or a lockout. Mm-hmm. And and the, the owners want you to get mad at the player, say they're being selfish, instead of the one who's got the billions of dollars not poning up a little bit more money. That exactly. changed a little bit this last baseball lockout. It, it was it was very obvious and, and communicated correctly that the owners were locking out the players, that this wasn't a strike, and fans didn't really sign, side with the owners on it. But the, in, in the idea of fans siding with the company over the wrestler, ironically, is exactly what WWE's been trying to do 
for a decade now. Like they're they push the WWE brand more than anything else in that company because that's what they they want. They want you associated with the brand. So. You know, how should Tony Khan handle this? Look, I understand his perspective. Hey, yeah, I'd, I'd love to give you more money, but I want to get something back to here. Let, let's let's add on a couple, I, I don't know how many years, but let, let's add more years onto your deal. MJF saying, no, I, I deserve this money right now. It, I understand the perspective from both sides. Um, I, I Will they work something out? I don't know. But if MJF saying, absolutely not, I, I, I cannot budge whatsoever on adding any years to my deal, that does put Tony Khan in a tough spot, you know, because either way, you're going to have to probably try to outbid WWE for his services one way or another. And Right. So AW- wouldn't you want in the interim to engender goodwill with the talent in that period right. of time? Right. And, and so it, it's it, it's a tough spot. But, you know, we, we want MJF to, to get the money he deserves and, and, and get it right away. It is It has been weird and interesting to kind of see people side with a company uh, over over the wrestlers. It's just so divergent from, you know, the same people who are siding with AEW and Tony Khan are okay with Sasha Banks and Naomi walking out during a show. Now, now again, we clarified this on our Tuesday show. You walk out before a show, you make a protest, say, I'm not doing something. I think you and I pretty much agreed we'd be behind them, right? Even if it's even if we disagree with what the protest is over, standing up for yourself is not a bad thing. Doing it during a show or as a show is beginning is a bad thing. But it just shows to me that you know, that bias that kind of exists in professional wrestling. You know, some people you know, they prefer AEW over WWE, WWE over AEW, and that's okay. Having preferences is fine. But if you're not going to look at things objectively and with each situation, you know, on its own, then really you're not credible is how I, is the way I look at it as, and, and sure, you know, certainly journalists and, and analysts and critics need to be credible. Fans can be fans and Fans are going to be fans in sports just like they are in pro wrestling. But you really look at the situation and you're like, well, who's in the right here? It's like, well, yes, Tony Khan has a great case to say, if if you want more money, you signed a deal, you got to add some years. That's what almost every boss would do in a situation like that. But ultimately, the power rests in the hands of MJF, who is the best of their four pillars, is currently the best heel in the company. An argument could be made he's the best heel in professional wrestling. I would disagree just because of how great Roman Reigns has been recently, but top two, you know, at, at, at the worst right now, and is the type of guy who, you know, if WWE signs MJF two years from now, is he going to move the needle for them? Maybe. I think initially people would be really curious to see what happens, given the limitations of WWE compared to AEW from a promo standpoint. But, you know, I don't think he's not the biggest name. You know, people, he doesn't really cross over, but he is someone who could cross over. He is someone that has that potential, the youth, the in-ring ability, the certainly everyone knows the mic ability. He's unique in many ways because he is on the smaller side, because he is a Jewish wrestler from New Jersey. I mean, you know, when has a guy like that, you know, Goldberg, yes, of course, was Jewish and Barry Horowitz was Jewish and Raven, but they the Judaism wasn't really a part of their character in some way. It is for MJF. It makes him exceptionally unique. By the way, he also has a great head on his shoulders and keeps kayfabe off TV as well, which is also very unique. I love that. And is a throwback. Anytime, any, anytime you watch him on a local news interview that he does when AEW sit in a town, they're always hilarious. So this is like the ideal type of guy. 
and AEW has him in their grips under contract. So yes, you could say, well, you got to honor your contract if you're MJF. But man, that is, I mean, that is not what I could in any way believe here. My belief system, as I kind of explained, and I'm not going to repeat it again, is you take care of your guy. Does it benefit you in two years when he becomes a free agent? Maybe not. But you also do happen to be the company that gave him an opportunity when he was just on the independence and WWE wasn't interested in him. You gave him a shot. He made the most of it. You're making a ton of money off of him. If you show that goodwill and say, hey, you know what? We're going to bump you up. Maybe it's not every dollar that you want, but we're going to give you a substantial raise for the next two years in hopes that you resign with us at the end of your contract. I'm not saying I don't, I don't know what MJF's going to do. I have to believe, given the freedom that AEW offers, the limited dates, the ability to work independence theoretically if he wanted to, I don't know why that would not be more attractive to him if the money was very similar, you know, two years from now. And, and, and that, that again, we're we're still mid negotiation. If I had to guess at the resolution, my guess is that's that's what it would be. But WWE, if, for for anybody who wonders if if MJF wouldn't work in WWE or WWE wouldn't want him because of his vulgarity, they absolutely would. Absolutely, this guy this guy is incredibly talented uh, on the mic. And again, he goes to these local TV stations and he's not calling people fat pigs, you know, like right. he knows, he knows how to dial it down. But he you knows can do that. Be... You can say fat pig in WWE. Well, I'm, I I'm mean, just, it was, the, it was the first thing that came to I know, mind. No, but I'm just, TV. I'm just saying a lot of what MJF does, even on television, isn't really that vulgar. It just sits so, because he delivers it with such venom. That's the key. Yeah. 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 Th- that, that's fair. And, and, and again, those interviews, he's a company guy. He's, he's, making the rounds again when AEW's in a town like they they put a lot on him and clearly he has shown he can carry it and you know that is incredibly appealing to WWE who's always looking for face of the company type people which is exactly what they've done with Cody Rhodes and if you're MJF and you're looking at the way Cody Rhodes is being treated and that the way he's being presented upon making this return being essentially the face of Raw being doing getting to do all these interviews and promos and, and all these kinds of things that's incredibly appealing, and it's something that WWE can do on a level that AEW can't yet because it doesn't have as many partnerships. It's, it's just simply not as big of a company. And so I'm sure that's appealing to MJF as he will, I'm sure, at one point want to cross over into just being more than just the wrestling guy. And so I, I, it's going to be really interesting in a few years when, when that, assuming that free agency comes up then, what he does because, he, like you said, he has all the power because he has built himself into a really strong, frankly, brand that both companies are going to want. That is a really good point. It's the side of it that I didn't even consider when I was kind of saying, well, why wouldn't he want to resign with AEW? That is true because WWE could legitimately push him in the into. I'm not saying he would be mainstream, but they could push him into the mainstream like they could try. They could effort it. Right. They have connections so he could get on television shows. He can act. Uh, he can, the guy can sing. I'm not saying he's going to go be in a musical or something, but he has talent, significant talent outside of wrestling. And you've seen what WWE has done with Miz, someone who is not as good in ring and is probably equal to maybe just not as good on the mic. It's really tough to say when you compare them, given the limitations mm-hmm. that WWE does have and, and AEW does not in terms of that. But MJF would be a star in WWE. It would absolutely work. And by the way, there just happens to be someone in WWE now, Cody Rhodes, 
who helped MJF navigate his time on the independence, his journey into AEW. He was the first big feud that he was a part of. And if you don't think Cody is going to be in Vince's ear and an MJF's ear when the time comes saying, hey, this can work. Here's how my time has gone. Look what they've done for me. Like the one of, you know, WWE is treating Cody incredibly right now, not just from Mm -hmm. a kayfabe booking standpoint, him winning matches, but the presentation, putting him front and center on house show advertisements. The guy just got there in April. He's the front and center ad for Hell in a Cell that they took Roman Reigns off of. I mean, he's basically being pushed as WWE's number two star right now. And it's been a couple of months. So if MJF was to come over at age 28, by the way, with plenty of time where if it didn't work out, he could go back to AEW at age 32 if they're still around, let's say. Um, Why wouldn't he want to risk that? If he's getting paid more money, can trust what's going on there. Vince, you know, you want to talk about Vince McMahon getting people? I bet you dollars to donuts, he gets what MJF is. I promise you. Being, Mm -hmm. you know, New York, Connecticut guy, being around people like MJF his entire life, having similar real life qualities to the ones MJF exhibits on screen. Vince McMahon gets it. I promise you that. So yeah, if I'm Tony Khan, you know, wrapping this all back up, Chris, I'm looking for ways to build goodwill. Yeah, maybe I'm not going to quote unquote, get a promotion for MJF where I move him into an extended contract. But if I give the guys a guy a raise, that placates him. That probably keeps him pretty happy where when the time comes, I have a better opportunity than I otherwise would at re-signing him. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's like you said, MJF kind of has the power right here, and and we'll see if Tony Khan is willing to to budge. This is that spot where at some point WWE was going to be interested in in AEW people. It wasn't always going to just be AEW grabbing people from from WWE. Now we're kind of seeing it the other way a little bit. Cody comes over. Now this MJF stuff is, is up. It won't be resolved for a bit. Still a long way to go in this process. But this news coming to light, seeing the reactions to it, it's it's uh. It's been surprising, I think, to say the least, and 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 kind of how AEW has positioned itself as a company in the eyes of, of fans. By the way, I'm gonna we're gonna get to AEW and NXT in a moment. I saw something come across my Twitter feed just now that has nothing to do with professional wrestling, but it did include the word "bot" in it, and I it piqued my like thought. Uh, what happened with those bots and Tony Khan and like, it's going to expose people. Did that, is that just over? Like there was so much criticism and he's just like, all right, forget it. I'm just going to drop this. That I, I forgot about that. I was not here to talk about it. I don't know if you talked about it on here or not. When he made those comments that there's a, apparently he discovered there was an army of pro WB bots out there. Look, look, there are bots out there for, for all everything. kinds of topics for everything. I think, we, I think we discussed it or at least I did. I mean, yeah, I, I was have to so, so look, there are WWE bots out there. There are AEW bots out there. It was Absolutely. incredibly, it was incredibly weird thing to tweet. Look, we, we love AEW as a show, as, as a company, what they've done, providing more work for wrestlers, having another Absolutely. show, having another good show. Um, Usually. But yeah. Tony, yeah, not this one. But uh, <laughs> not this week. <laughs> Tony Khan uh, just does some weird things on Twitter and we can never get back to it. So I don't know what it, happened to that. It is strange. Yeah, but I just, it just I saw literally someone say bots in, in my Twitter feed. And I was like, wait, we're talking about Tony Khan two and two together. All right. Yeah. So look, uh, we're going to talk about AEW. We're going to talk about NXT here. As I said, folks. Uh, we will have timestamps in the episode descriptions if you want to skip around AEW building to double or nothing, NXT building to an in-your-house show on television. We're going to get to all of it starting right now. We will begin, since Chris is here, uh, and really, it's 
we're getting close to double or nothing, so we should begin anyway with AEW. And before we get into the nitty gritty, my one line to describe this episode, one hour was pretty good. The second hour completely fell off a cliff. Yes, I agree. Okay. Which is how, uh, which is how kind of a, a number of them have been. They really seem to be front-loading the show. They and do, because they, they want to capture that crossover audience yeah, from the lead-in, yeah. lead and they want to try sense. to keep it as long as they possibly can. Yeah, and, and again, yeah, it makes sense. And, and those front hours are electric. Like, there's just so much going on. Sometimes yeah. great, sometimes not so great. But uh, yeah, you can, you can see why they're doing it. Absolutely. So we're going to mix Dynamite and Rampage together. So the thing that we're going to start with is not the main event topic of AEW, uh, but we we try to uh, break things down for the week in AEW by storyline, not so much by show. That way we can talk about it all together. So let's start with Sean Spears versus Bear Boulder on Rampage. Uh, this was a winnable TV match on Rampage for Spears, just like what AEW did with Lance Archer before he got squashed by Wardlow. Spears won with the C4, then grabbed a chair and hit Boulder with it three times. The reasoning for the match made sense, obviously. To me, it was just completely unnecessary. Uh, given what Wardlow is going to do to Spears, which is going to be completely dominate him anyway. I was just going to move right into Dynamite. I assume you have nothing to say about this, correct? Other than I really like that AEW does this before a match. It's a good way to just a one-off to build somebody up before they get to Wardlow. They've done this several times now. I, I love it every time. I do think it's there's positives to it, but if that person is then going to just get squashed, like Archer did, it, it's meaningless. Uh, Archer, Archer was Archer was a they they the, the Archer Wardlow. We didn't like the way that that was handled. But doing it with the Butcher, doing it with Sean Spears, guys that aren't going to get singles wins otherwise. It's a good way to both. It's it's a good way to that. give them one. I, the, I like it. I agree with that, especially given Spears. It, it it wasn't the next. You know, it wasn't four days later that he fought Wardlow. It's another week from now, so that makes it make more sense too. I don't know if he had a match on the Rampage taping, but if he did and if he got another win, that would have been cool too. Anyway, so Dynamite, the big storyline was Wardlow getting 10 lashes from MJF. He entered the ring shirtless, MJF spit in his face. Commentary said it was to bait him into hitting him and voiding the match, but that wasn't a term as I talked about last week that it should have been a term and Wardlow was ready to powerbomb him last week until Mark Sterling made the save. So if he was, if it would have been okay for him to powerbomb him, then why couldn't he have hit him here? So that was just all very convoluted as far as I was concerned. Anyway, MJF did the first lash. Wardlow didn't budge. He flipped out and did six more to no reaction. Spears did one to no reaction. And then he finally hit one, the ninth total, that got Wardlow. Like he, he winced and bent over. MJF went for the 10th lash and instead did a low blow and lashed his back probably 10 times after that. Then he knocked him out with the stupid dynamite diamond ring. Spears added the C4 with MJF counting one, two, three ahead of the steel cage match next week. This wasn't necessarily bad, but it didn't really do much for me. More than anything, it was just extremely repetitive of what we've seen MJF do before. And given how creative MJF and AEW can be, and we saw that creativity in Long Island recently, this just could have been so much better. The stipulation was lashes. Why not bring out a metal chain after like the fourth lash or put spikes on it, like a spike dog collar or a belt that had thumbtacks on it. It was a low point in their feud, as far as I was concerned, based on what we've seen recently. The match has so much momentum. I don't think it really matters in the long run, but I was way less entertained by this than I thought I was going to be. I, I thought it was all right. It, it wasn't as it wasn't as <clears throat> as great as I, I had hoped, but but I, I still enjoyed it. 
Wardlow coming out, getting the Wardlow chance when there's no music. Always a great look every time coming out the the, the, the handcuffs. I didn't really know what to expect, uh, like uh, how he was going to sell it or, or whatnot. So MJF's out there. His hands are so freaking tan compared to the rest of his body. And you <laughs> notice that later when he took off his shirt. It looked like they were like deep fried or something like that. It was overloaded on the tan for, for his hands, which maybe he did that on purpose. Um, after the first couple, he, after the first one and he doesn't react, I was like, oh, I didn't actually like think that that could happen. It just kind of hadn't really crossed my mind. So I was like, oh, this that's interesting. But then after a couple, you're like, all right, well, like, what are we going to do here? I get what that we're seeing. Also, the camera, I get we're seeing that Wardlow's not reacting. But it took quite a few before they showed us a shot of his back. Also realized, true. Oh, yep. Which, which, oh, okay. So he is getting, you know, bruises or just marks on his back. We didn't, we didn't see that right away. Um, and, and so I didn't, it, it, there, was, there was one, the ninth, eighth or ninth one from Sean Spears. The ninth. Did get a reaction from Wardlow. I think on accident, maybe it kind of got him up, uh, up around the neck a little bit and he winced. I thought it was and, accidental too. That could, it yeah. actually, it was so, it actually hurt so much that he couldn't. Play yeah. Out. So I was yeah. like, Oh, like, Oh, they, they did kind of get to him. Even if accidentally that piqued my interest. And then, but I was like, all right, well, like, what else are we going to do? Then the low blow and beat him up. I was like, Oh, okay. That's great. You can whip up a bunch more, beat him up a bunch more. Great way to get heel heat. So it, it, it ended up being pretty by, by the books at the end. So I, I enjoyed it. Wasn't, wasn't amazing. Wasn't great, but there were, there were parts of it that I really liked. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, on Dynamite, we had Samoa Joe facing a Joker in the Owen Hart Tournament quarterfinals. And I'm giving you a little bit of a warning here. I'm not fond of the Owen Hart tournaments. And I'm going to talk about that at the end of this match and, and later in the show as well. The Joker ended up being John Morrison, formerly of WWE, uh, now going by Johnny Elite. It's definitely not what I expected as a Joker. So AEW definitely surprised me with this one. And my heart, I will admit, did skip a beat when I saw the name Johnny first, because as you all know, I really want Johnny Gargano to stay in WWE <laughs> and think he could be a huge success there as like the heir apparent to Daniel Bryan. And while, you know, if he and Candice LeRae end up in AEW, good for them. Like, you know, I'm, I'm still going to be a fan. I just think there's so much opportunity there. So I saw Johnny. I was like, oh, man, that really sucks. And then I saw it was Morrison. I was like, oh, OK, this is actually a nice surprise. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, Joe dominated early until Johnny hit a cork style, corkscrew style move off the top rope outside. Johnny flipped out of a muscle buster and hit a Samoan drop that was supposed to be something else, but he just didn't get all of it. Joe was in the middle of the ring, but Johnny didn't move him before trying a 450 splash. He landed basically flat on the canvas and then crawled over to Joe to act like it had impact. Joe got his knees up on Starship Pain and hit the muscle buster for the win. It was great to see that move come back. I liked the match, but as you can tell, a lot of stuff happened in it that just didn't work and, and was were failures, basically. Literally seconds after the bell, the Ring of Honor jabronis attacked. Jay Lethal took out Joe's shoulder with a lead pipe. Then best friends slash Rapongi Vice ran in for the save. And later, Rapongi challenged FTR for the Ring of Honor tag team titles instead of addressing the guys that they squared off with earlier in the show. Anyway, so I had a pretty decent rant in my head about AEW debuting Johnny having him lose immediately, signing another WWE mid-card that doesn't do anything for them, blah, blah, blah. But we came out of Dynamite and there's no All Elite graphic for him, nor any announcement that he's been signed by them. And I believe it was PW Insider reported that he has not been, that he may make some appearances, but he's not a member of their roster right now. So it seems like this was more of a one-off appearance like Big Cass, you know, recently. 
The problem with that is this tournament is supposed to be this grand event. And given AEW has the most talented in-ring men's wrestling roster perhaps ever assembled, Johnny was a nice surprise, but he was hardly the best thing they could have done. Three times now and twice on this show, they have decided to forego quality wrestling for kind of theatrics in a wrestling tournament. So one of my larger overall points on today's show that I'll talk about as we keep going here is, yeah, these tournaments are probably going to end pretty strong in the final matches, but they've been very inconsistent and to me, pretty disappointing overall. Yeah, I mean, every time I come on here, we kind of quite, we kind of have to remember how long ago they announced it, how there aren't really any stakes other than winning a trophy at the end of it. Look, it's a nice way to honor Owen Hart and Martha Hart's there, and and, and that's great. I, I, I enjoy a lot of that stuff. But overall, tournaments have been let down. Some of the best matches we got were the preliminary matches to, exactly. to get into the, get into the tournament. Johnny Morrison, or John Morrison, Johnny Elite showing up. I was like, oh, cool. Like, like I, I enjoyed him. I really wished uh, he had gotten more of a singles push when Miz got hurt mm-hmm. uh, in WWE because I think he's a really talented guy both on, on the mic and, and with what he can do. Um, but then as the match kind of played out, you realized, oh, AEW does have a ton of guys who are just like John Morrison now who can do all the flippy stuff and, and, and do kinds of stuff like that. So didn't I didn't have a whole ton of thoughts on the match other than it was expected result. Cool to see Morrison got a little pop out of it, but AEW too often just relies on those surprise appearances instead of telling a greater story. And we 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 had it with Big Cass, you had it with with Johnny Morrison. Mm-hmm. It's just it's happening time and time again where you're you're just doing something to make news for the day, and then it's another week, and you got to figure out a new way to, to to make headlines instead of moving forward with with again how big that roster is lean into some of these other people that you have and we'll, we'll get into it because the same thing happened in the, on the women's side. That's exactly right. It's, it's shows. And, and I've said this numerous times, people have disagreed with me frequently, not always, but frequently AEW cares more about popping a rating than putting on a good show. Again, dynamite is usually a very, very good show, but there are numerous instances over the years and especially recently. Um, and, and this acquisition of ring of honor has brought another element into it where it just creates a really messy product that they're trying to fit all these extra titles and people into the show that don't belong there and aren't needed there when they have a full roster. But this tournament, these tournaments should have been about, I mean, it's Owen, it's an Owen Hart tournament, high quality wrestling work rate, right? Like really good, um, hard fought matches. And sure, one match here or there can be a slightly different, but generally you want something that you know, lends itself to the build that this tournament got over all of this period of time. And this match, I'm not saying it was bad necessarily, but it just felt like a regular TV match, not something in this hotly contested tournament where you have it. And by the way, you also have a joker in Morrison, Johnny Elite, who didn't have to win a match to get into the field, isn't signed with AEW, and then just lost. So they didn't do it as a debut to put someone over and have them advance. They did it just to put a name on the show and feed him to Samoa Joe. So there was really, yeah. there's really no way you can look at it other than being happy to see Johnny one time. There's really no way to look at it and say, you know what? That was a good idea. It, it wasn't. It was a bad idea. Well, so I, one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say, it's not, you use the phrase pop a rating. Not all of these are specifically to pop a rating. This was a surprise. So you, technically you, you didn't know. It's not like they announced 
you know, Ric Flair is going to be in something in, 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 for one. No, night. but when that's, they that's say, hey, we operate. have a debut or an arrival, a joker. I, I, I think overall what they're trying to do is create a sense of surprise and anybody could show up. Sometimes they announce it, sometimes they don't. They want to create that sus- natural suspense time and time again. And they do. Again, we were They do. They successfully do it. Yes. Great, great to see him. It was nice to see him. But I think they they lean on that. It's 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 almost it's often the opposite of WWE, which will announce returns ahead of time. Right. You never have a real sense that anything could happen when you tune into the show. AW, you get a sense that anything could happen. The problem is if you're all if you only think anything can happen, then it's harder to get connected to the stories and the characters you're trying to develop. And by and, and I, I don't think they've done that as well. And there's also spots where it works and other spots where it doesn't. Like big cast, they kind of teased it so you knew who it was going to be. But when he showed up, everyone, there was a great reaction. He had an awesome match with mm-hmm. Wardlow. He delivered. And it wasn't part of this tournament where, again, right. like big cast coming in made sense because MJF had brought in guys like him before for one-off matches in storyline feuds to build to a singles match with him. It made complete sense. Doing this in this circumstance, not for a play-in match, but literally into a tournament where everyone else had to win their way in and have him not signed and it not, you know, and him and have him lose, it was just to a, a surprise for surprise's sake. And it didn't hit. That that's basically what I'm trying to say. Look, we got we got a lot more to talk about. Let's just keep going. Uh we'll stay with the Owen Hart tournament. Uh two more matches on the show. Ray Phoenix versus Kyle O'Reilly. Very well wrestled match, as one would expect with these two. Phoenix had a lifted twisting powerbomb and then a rolling hurricane for Mere Falls. O'Reilly came back with a double underhook suplex and they exchanged big moves. Phoenix then hit the move of the week, which was a spectacular tightrope walk hurricane to the outside. Insane. He then went for a rolling cutter, but O'Reilly countered into an armbar, taking advantage of the injured shoulder that was surgically repaired and he's back healthy from it but nevertheless previously injured for the win. This was an awesome match. It was also a match that had the wrong winner. I'm not sure what it is about AEW. They refuse to put Pentagon and Phoenix over as singles. Every single time they're in a tournament like this, they ultimately lose. They put on great matches. They're the MVP. I thought Phoenix was the MVP of this entire episode. Lost the match. I went four stars and an A- minus because it really was fantastic but I wanted to see Phoenix advance. O'Reilly is in a tag team and in a faction and he's not going to win. And I doubt they're going to do Cole O'Reilly in the finals, if that's even the way the bracket would shake out. So I just don't see why they did it. Yeah, I had, I had the same thoughts basically, which was the match was awesome. Loved it, loved it, loved it. But I wanted Ray Phoenix to win. I'm in general, just not really a, a Kyle O'Reilly guy. Uh, so, 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 what, so what's the bracket now? We've got, I think it's going to be O'Reilly against Joe and Adam Cole against. I think it's. Uh, I forget who the other one is. Yeah, I'm going to look this up too. I, I thought it was Cole O'Reilly. Let's pull this up here. It is uh, Adam Cole versus O'Reilly or, or some uh, Kyle O'Reilly versus Joe. Yeah, it's, it's O'Reilly versus Joe in the semifinals. Right. Winner versus Cole. Adam okay, Cole's so already was, in the finals. Yeah. That was the other part that confused me. It was weird that they had a quarterfinal and a semifinal on the same yeah show. exactly yeah because adam cole beat jeff hardy that's right yeah yeah, that, yeah. Th- yes that's what it was so um that was yeah, a so, weird, so uh, yeah so they're yeah. mixing up semifinals and quarterfinals on the same show one guy's advanced we'll talk about that next um and we know we're gonna get adam cole and samoa joe that is the match that we obviously want to see so why not have ray phoenix and samoa joe be the 
semifinal. Yeah. That's a far more exciting right. match. I, I'm sure the story they want to tell is, oh, what if it's Cole versus O'Reilly? It's not going to be. Yeah, and and look, I mean, we just had FTR fight each other. The the idea of tag team friends fighting each other is not some new concept either that you can really hype up. So I don't like, like yeah, match was great, loved it. I just I'm with you. It would have been nice to see Ray Phoenix win because he's amazing. He is amazing. Half man, half amazing. On Dynamite, Jeff Hardy backstage said he was medically cleared to continue competing in the Owen tournament. The Young Bucks came in suggesting he consider his family and take the night off instead. Matt said the Bucks are Hardy cosplayers who will, Matt, Matt uh, Hardy, I should say, um, said the Bucks are Hardy cosplayers who will never be tougher or better than them. And then he threatened that if the Bucks interfere, they'll get their asses whipped. So immediately I thought, well, they're going to interfere and we're going to get the tag team match that we expected at Double or Nothing. Maybe that's not going to be the case. We'll move on and talk about that right now. Uh, so we had Hardy against Adam Cole in the Owen Hart Tournament quarterfinal. Cole failed trying to counter Whisper in the wind with a super kick. He completely missed him, but Jeff sold it anyway. Hardy avoided the boom and hit Twist of Fate. Cole then dodged a swanton bomb and hit the boom to the front of Hardy's face. He like turned his body incorrectly uh, and got the win. The Bucks threatened, so Cole hit a double clothesline from behind on the Hardys. The Bucks hit the BTE trigger on Matt. Darby Allen made the save. Sting sauntered down to the ring also. Red Dragon came down and attacked Sting. Sting no sold a chair shot and ate stereo super kicks. Kyle O'Reilly drops his flying knee onto Sting's ankle, which was in a chair, as AEW went off the air. So maybe you can tell my opinion on this. Uh, this was the match <laughs> I was looking forward to most on the entire show. I really was. And AEW even teased it earlier on Dynamite, which they never do. The Dynamite uh, main event sometimes just happens. And like, you, you know, they advertise that commentary does, but you never see the people before the match. We got to on this show, so I was really excited about it. But the it was the main event. It only got nine minutes. When the bell rang, it immediately went to commercial. Faster than even WWE goes to commercial. By the time it came back, we literally, I counted, got three minutes of live wrestling because they had to leave a minute and a half for the post-match attack. And Dynamite went like a minute over. Like it went to like 10.01 or 10.02. But not only that, this match sucked. Multiple botches, poor wrestling, I don't even understand what they were doing here. The attack after the match was better than the match itself. I figured we were getting the tag team match at double or nothing. Now it kind of seems like it's going to be four on four instead, since Cole is presumably going to fight Joe, as we just discussed in the finals. So maybe we get Red Dragon um, and the Young Bucks against the Hardys, Darby Allen, and Sting. That seems to be at least what I think where we're heading. But man, like... This match was pathetic, and it's supposed to be a big tournament showdown. This is no Queen's Crown. Don't get me wrong. But it is hardly the wrestling tournament that I expected in totality. Maybe 50% of it has lived up to expectation. Yeah, let down. Look, I just in general haven't loved Matt Hardy's AW run uh, to, to this point. Mm -hmm. I had the same thought. It was like, for, for me, it was, I think, 8.51 local time and the match is starting. I was like, oh, I thought we were going to get some nice... 15, 20 minute guys. match. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, all right. And and then, yeah, obviously match wasn't great. Cole won. And then the, just everything that happens at the end. Again, this is something where like, I wish WWE would do this more, but also AEW does it too much. It, it, it's always every, every dynamite ends with just massive brawls. And I generally like them. I'd rather have too many than not enough for sure. But it, it, at some point sting no selling a chair shot to the back every single week. At some point, it 
it doesn't mean anything. What, why, why can Sting take chair shots to the back? I don't, I don't get it. And look, they're, they're finally building to Bucks Hardys, which is good. I, I made the point last week that they've been building this on BTE. Now it's finally on, on TV. I'm very much looking forward to that match. However, assuming we get it at, at double or nothing. Well, I, but, I would, per, it seemed like they're doing the eight man, like I laid out. And I, I would actually prefer right. that because it seems, it seems too fast to go to Bucks well, my, Hardys. My thought was Cole's waiting. It, the, the the final match is at double or nothing, right? So Cole's going to fight. Cole's going to be in at double or nothing uh, fighting for I the old I believe so. Cup. I believe so. So I think, I, I assume they're doing the eight man maybe next week or, or I don't, is next week the go home? I'm not sure. What, next week or the go home or whatever it is, I assume is when they'll do the eight man, which would make sense. Um, they could do that. So, too. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. So, so uh, it just felt like, yeah, this was a semifinal match that ultimately its purpose was to set up an eight man tag and a young bucks Hardys match, which I'm going to like those, but don't do that for the semifinal of this tournament. Yeah. Uh, next week is the go home show for double or okay. nothing. Uh, I mean, there's a rampage of course, but yeah, D- dynamite will be the go home week. We already have the steel cage match. Perhaps they do the eight man next week and then do the tag team match double or nothing. But knowing AEW and the way they, try to shove everyone that they possibly can onto their pay-per-views. There's a very legitimate shot. We get a 10-man, an 8-man, and a 6-man all on one pay-per-view. Possibly, yeah. They, they do that a lot. We, 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 know, we know that. And we always say those would, one of those makes sense for your, your buy-in, your kickoff show. I, I, I doubt Cole's going to be... I, I, the Owen Hart finals are at double or nothing as far as I know, so I assume Cole's going to be busy doing that. I could have sworn they announced it for Forbidden Door, but I think it's double or nothing. I think that may have been a slip or something. Or, or maybe I misheard when they did it. Whatever the case. Doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The finals take place at double or nothing. So start. there you go. So Cole prop, So Cole already has a match. So they either do eight without Cole or they just do the tag team match and, and we'll see what happens. Uh, well, let's keep going. On Dynamite, we had Hangman Adam Page against Konosuke Takeshka in a non-title match. CM Punk was on commentary. Page had a nice moonsault outside early. Takeshka hit a blue thunder bomb and Tope Konhiro plus some more impressive offense. Hangman added a tombstone pile driver for a near fall. Takeshka came back with last ride and a knee strike for one of his own or two, I should say of his own. Takeshka then hit a German suplex that he was supposed to bridge, but I think he legitimately hurt his shoulder on the landing. And so he broke the fall attempt. Luckily he was totally okay and able to continue. There was a really rough like top rope lariat that they tried to do from Takeshka. Page completely no-sold it. He followed with a buckshot lariat and then hit Punk's GTS for the win. This was a superb match. Uh, it probably would have been graded higher if not for a couple of strange aspects. I went 3.75 and a B plus, but if it was, if anyone else is in the A range, I, I support it. It was really, really fantastic. Hangman continues his run of great matches as champion. You know, we shit on the storylines. We don't like really how he's been presented. The matches have been fantastic. Uh, they faced off on the ramp, uh, Page and Punk, with Hangman eventually blowing past him and walking to the back. My only real takeaway, other than what I already said, is Takeshka continues to prove he is an outstanding professional wrestler. I believe he works for both DDT and All Japan, but AEW, and I mean, if I was WWE also, but AEW in particular, should be working overtime to try to sign this guy whenever he's officially available. He's like a young Kazuchika Okada, and I'm I'm not saying that he necessarily has the personality or that he's going to be, quote unquote, the greatest of all time, like many believe Okada is. But the size, the strength, the in-ring talent, all of that is absolutely there. I really like this guy, and he's completely gotten over just from being in the ring. 
Yep, exactly. I, I think that's absolutely true. Match was tremendous. Loved it. Probably 3.75, 4 type of range. And you mentioned the story with Paige has not been great, but the wrestling has been great. That's the best way to get him over and get him on the minds of fans. It's not necessarily cutting promos or whatever. It's doing matches like this so we remember how awesome he is. And there was a line that Punk said on commentary, which was, Page is fighting right now. Why would he be doing this match? He's doing it because he's a fighting champion and he needs to get the reps before he fights me. It's the same reason I fought John Silver in Long Island last week. Why would I do that? Because I need to get the reps. I need to stay fresh. And that's that's I, I love that. that that's mm-hmm. great storytelling as to why a match is happening. And you get to see your champion wrestle. It's something WWE doesn't do. Roman Reigns, we talked about it ad nauseum this week, just doesn't wrestle that much anymore and you, you don't see him very often uh so that made it feel like it matters to page that he's out there wrestling so I, I love that and the the sell the selling of the gts here that page delivered i think that's the that's that's the way that move should be sold mm. it would to me it was better than the when you know, when punk does it and the heads go back and all that stuff this guy dude this guy looked like he legit got knocked out by it yeah i love the sell of it and i think that's how it should be sold uh, typically that that jumped out to me he was awesome he was one of like the two or three things on this episode that i truly truly enjoyed Takeshka in particular so i'm glad he got that moment um on the big show jericho appreciation society did a standoff with eddie kingston santana and ortiz and blackpool combat club sans wheeler yuda who's in japan this was supposed to be a jericho regal segment igniting their old rivalry jericho said he thought regal would be dead by now and went down the addict road of insults He went down the wife insult road with Kingston, called Brian Danielson a nerd, and said Regal would make him an addict just like Moxley. Jericho closed by saying he used to piss in Regal's tea basically all the time. Uh, Regal called Jericho shrill and admitted that over hundreds of shows in his career, he would constantly put Jericho's toothbrush up his ass. Danny Garcia got mad. Regal said he did it to him last week. Jericho was ready to challenge for a stadium stampede match when Mox said he had no interest in that shit. Mox challenged them to an anything goes match instead. He took a shot at sports entertainment. Jericho took a shot at WWE saying Mox's eye for an eye match was the good one. Uh, Kingston said he just wanted to fight, but Danielson stopped him. Then they got into a shoving match to show that basically that group is not a well-oiled machine. I thought this was going to be incredible. Like when I saw all the names that were going to be out there, it was fine right it was entirely it was, too long. it was a mess it was a mess well like parts of it individual parts were okay but it was yeah it was a mess it was entirely too long i didn't totally mind jericho's promo but it didn't hit like i thought it kind of was like he was trying to go back and do the promo he cut on cm punk back in wwe when he like threw whiskey in his face and all that type of shit it was like he was trying to rekindle that except he did it to a guy where like he's been so over his addiction issues for such a long period of time that it's not really like in the zeitgeist anymore. Like people don't really think about it and talk about it. And and Regal is not the even though he knocked him out last week and he was pissed at him, he's not the guy in this group. He Jericho's feuding with Kingston. That's the feud. That's who should be going back and forth. And again, this feels like a match and a situation where they're just throwing a bunch of people in there to get all of their stars on the pay per view. That's not the worst thing in the world, but the teams are completely overmatched. And you're not going to convince me that because this far more talented team hasn't worked together before, they're going to lose when you have 
basically four people on Jericho's team who could all take the pinfall and maybe one or two on the other team that could at the same time going into the pay-per-view. I do think the match is going to be great. Mox was all over the place. Um, Regal was all over the place. The pro wrestlers are going to go over at the end. They'll take a shot or a couple shots at WWE probably during the match. This build isn't hitting for me. When it was three on three with Kingston and Santana and Ortiz, it worked. Now that they're kind of shoving more people in here, it's hurting BCC. They're not as interesting as they were just a couple weeks ago. And it's hurting the Kingston, you know, Jericho feud because now there's so many more people involved that didn't need to be. We we need to get that drop in here of uh, actually a, a, from the buildup of this a couple weeks ago where um, there's an Eddie Kingston comment to Chris Jericho that I, I, I sent to you. We, we've been meaning to make it as a drop. Uh, it, it, it'll work. I don't want to spoil it, but you guys will like well, it. Well, what was it? He already said it on TV. So what was it? I, I've sent it to you. Go through go through your, your text. Okay, but I can't play we, we, it while we're talking on the show. So what, no, what I, 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 I want to save. it. I can't deliver it the same way Eddie Kingston would. So okay, I, we'll I, I don't want to say it. I for it'll, some reason. It'll be, it'll oh, here fun. it is. Um, during the uh, contract. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Okay. So, um, so to me, this was a this was a mess. Jer- Jericho looked great. By the way, had some abs there. Credit to him for being he back in shape and all that stuff. But this took forever. He's just going one by one. And it's not like I'm delivering a zinger. It's I'm it's like I'm cutting a full promo on everybody. And it just took it just went on and on and on. The stuff at the end where Regal's talking about putting a toothbrush up my ass, like what the what what is that? That was like up, WWE. Up my bottom. Up my bottom. Yeah, that was like WWE style childish commentary. Oh, he got him by saying he stuck his toothbrush up. Like, what? That was I, I just I didn't like any of this. Uh, well, I, that's for sure. I liked I liked bits and pieces of it. I did the the line where he brought it back around to say, "Hey, you're going to be in rehab just like Moxie or something like that." That was that was a deep cut. And then so then when Jericho's building up that they're going to do Stadium Stampede, I got excited. I love Stadium Stampede. I didn't know how the hell it was going to work because I know they're in Vegas, and I was like, "Are they going to go over to Allegiant Stadium and just rent it out? That doesn't seem right. Where are they going to do this? Are they going to do it at you at the old UNLV Stadium? Where is it going to go?" And then Jared and then Moxie says, "Nah, we're not doing that." I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> that's disappointing." I, I I wanted to see it, and then Moxie's whole bit, "We're going to make you bleed, whatever." I was like, "All right, there, there, there's not a real hatred here. This isn't a blood feud." So it doesn't feel necessary. So my ultimate, I was just, I was let down by this and I just thought this whole thing was generally a mess. I still think the match, like you said, at double or nothing could be really fun, but this was just kind of a bit of a letdown. And your point about BCC, uh, because it's, because it's gotta be five man. Um, we don't have, uh, William Yuta involved anymore. Wheeler Yuta, I'm sorry. After he was, kind of the big thing a couple weeks ago they built him up he, he wasn't even out there i don't think i didn't see him he was there last week but you realized it was six and five plus regal so i think they just didn't include him just to keep it five and five well, he was in japan i said that earlier oh oh i missed that sorry okay i didn't realize that take that back but either way he's not in this match because he doesn't fit the five so that's kind of weird as well you wish the bcc was doing something different yeah i'm really not exactly sure um I mean, I know why they did it. They did it to get more stars on the show, but they've actively kind of, I, I wouldn't say they've hurt BCC getting built up because they're still being built up. So they're really fine, but they had a lot of momentum and now they're all playing in this segment. They were basically playing second fiddle to William Regal and Eddie Kingston, which 
Yes. Wasn't really what they're all about. They do want to fight. They do care about professional wrestling. The idea of them being on the professional wrestling side against the sports entertainment side makes complete sense. I'm not saying it doesn't. It's just that it was hotter when it was the people that were actually feuding. Now they're just adding people to add people and it doesn't really help as far as I'm concerned. Um, on Rampage, we had a TNT championship match, Scorpio Sky against Frankie Kazarian. Before the match, Sky told the other guys he wanted to do it on his own. Dan Lambert jumped on the ring apron to interfere late, and Ethan Page hit Kazarian. That took Kazarian off his game, and Sky caught him with the TKO for the win. Sky did not see the interference, and commentary made sure that we knew that as viewers, which, which I definitely appreciated in the moment. Um, then Sky legitimately cheers for Kaz after the bell. We thought that he was clapping for him, lifted him back up. Kaz yelled. He told Sky that they screwed with him. So Sky yelled at uh, Ethan Page and Dan Lambert. Page admitted it and yelled back at him. So then Sky nailed Kaz in the face with the title and hugged Page. They attacked further before Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti ran into the ring to make the save. The match was fine. The booking was abhorrent. Am I losing my mind? Or did they not successfully execute a double turn a couple of yeah. weeks ago with Scorpio Sky becoming a babyface and Ty Conti and Sammy Guevara becoming heels, despite this entire angle being the drizzling shits? And now Sky is back heel, and presumably Guevara and Conti, who are still getting booed, by the way, are faces again. This is as bad as booking gets. Zero point zero. Zero! Point zero, Mr. Look, I was at Battle of the Belts when they had when they had a first or second uh, Sky Sammy Guevara match when Sammy won the title back, and I made the comment then that like, hey, everybody's booing Sammy and they're behind Scorpio, like this isn't working. They should do some sort of double turn. And then the next show, I think they did, and it worked. And so now we're back to this. I'm so confused. Like they, it, it wasn't going the way they planned they adjusted on the fly correctly and now they're going back it's it's this whole thing's been a, a complete mess for for a number of weeks now i'm so confused are, are, are we are we getting the intergender tag are they both going to be heel teams like i'm so confused how this is, is going to work i assume a double or nothing i don't know i just yeah i just i have no idea anyway uh, on Dynamite, Keith Lee and Swerve fought the Workhorsemen. Uh, the match was basically held just to get the faces a win so that they could get into the top five of the AEW rankings and therefore contend for the tag team titles at Double or Nothing, despite being a makeshift team. We discussed this last week. They beat the shit out of the jobbers, finishing with a very cool spirit bomb kind of coup de gras combination move. That was awesome. They did look good together overall. After the bell, Lee said they were a top five team. Then Team Taz entered. Swerve had a great line about Ricky Stark's clothes being disrespectful to the game. I thought that was funny. Then Jurassic Express entered with Christian Cage, making a triple threat challenge that we discussed last week. Then Christian demanded a triple threat between Jungle Boy, Starks, and Swerve so Jungle Boy could get his win back after Swerve, quote unquote, screwed him over just by standing at ringside, by the way, uh, last week. This all made sense given the way it's been playing out. You do wonder... If doing the triple threat with the Bucks and Hardys may have been a better move, but this would be a perfect spot to mercifully take the titles off Jurassic Express while putting over Lee and Swerve, both of whom really who have not been booked well since joining AEW. So I do think that's ultimately what's going to happen here. And if it does, then I'm pretty much okay with it. Yeah, the end result was good. We got a triple tag that we're really excited about. 
presumably will get a title change, which we we all think needs to happen. Um, it, it, good to see the tag team get a win again. I, I'm fine. Like it, I, I'm fine with AW doing these squash type of matches that are immediately set up to do something. Sean, Sean Spears gets a win because he's got to get ready for Wardlow. Keith Lee and Swerve get a win because they need to get a, a promo. But like, all right, we're here. We deserve to be in this tag title picture. Like, give, you just give me a little reasoning as opposed to just random title shots. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on board with that. So, so that worked. But something I, I noticed when they entered the ring, Swerve got like no reaction upon his entrance. Mm-hmm. Keith Lee, Keith Lee got a got got a decent reaction. So it's not like it was bad mics, but both of these guys, yeah, they've just kind of been doing whatever since they got there. Them potentially as tag team champs, I think, could work. But it feels like, especially with Keith Lee, like he's a guy he needs to be at the top of the card, and he's just kind of been around doing tag team stuff. And and so I'm not as big of a Swerve guy as you are, but I'm sure you feel the same about Swerve. I do, and it's it's just crazy because I mean, I, you know, I love both of them, Keith Lee and Swerve. Um, but AEW, like, what do they what do they do? They prop themselves up as having the best tag to tag team division ever. And they're about to have a triple threat tag team match at a pay-per-view with two makeshift tag teams. Now, I'm not saying that they don't those teams don't belong together, but it's pretty clear that like Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs is a team out of convenience because they're part of Team Taz and they're just two guys who are wrestling and they have nothing else to do. Keith Lee and Swerve. If they make them champions, then that'll probably be okay along the lines of RK Bro in WWE, where you're like, oh, they're kind of just throwing them together temporarily, but then they actually made them champions, establish them, and have it be something that's real. And now here we are over a year later, and RK Bro is one of the hottest things in the company. So if they do that with Swerve and Keith Lee, I'm going to be thrilled. But if they're mm. in the match just to lose, or they take the titles and then lose them after 30 days or something like that, then it's just really, you look at it and you say, well, they've all these incredible tag teams. Why aren't the ta- actual quote unquote tag teams fighting for the tag team titles? It's this, it's what people criticize WWE about all the time. And yet here we are in AEW with a legitimately super strong division, pretty much doing the exact same thing. Let's move over to Rampage. And I really should have mentioned this when we talked about Ray Phoenix earlier, but Death Triangle fought Butcher Blade and Mark Quinn. Penta Oscuro got a hot tag and hit a Casadora into a DDT. Pack dangerously dumped Quinn on his head with a released German suplex. The Lucha Bros hit Fear Factor, and Pack added the Black Arrow for the win. Death Triangle looked awesome in the match as per usual. Kyle O'Reilly was watching from the crowd ahead of their Owen match. After the bell, the lights went out. House of Black appeared on the ring apron. The lights went out again, and they disappeared. I thought it was a really good TV match, not much else. The six-man angle is clear for double or nothing. It would be nice if they developed it a little bit more, but really at this point, I don't know how they could. So let's just have the match. It'll be an absolute banger because all of these guys are incredible wrestlers and sometimes you don't really need to think about more than that yeah pretty much that that was my thought too house of black is it's it's interesting thinking about house of black now in comparison to judgment the judgment day Mm -hmm. and and how we view them both doing kind of spooky things i think they both kind of add hits and misses along the way but i am really excited for the match would presumably get here at double or nothing. So kind of just got to want to wait and get there. Cause that's what these guys are great at. Everything else has just kind of been whatever. Yeah. It's the wrestling aspect that I care most about. And the wrestling aspect is going to be awesome. I, I could make an argument. They're heading in opposite directions. House of black and judgment. Day. Yeah. But I'm not saying yeah, that house probably, of black yeah. is dead. It's, it's it's they're great. Okay. So it's going to work. I'm just saying it's kind of falling off a little bit. Judgment day is kind of like building up and becoming something. 
it's been it's been inconsistent. And and that's what that was the issue with Judgment the Judgment Day Both at the beginning. Flashy lights, spooky stuff was weird, but now the last couple weeks they're they're getting you kind of getting consistent. House of Black had the had the stuff with with the uh, what's her name the cheerleader uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was really weird segment there. So you don't Julia you don't Hart. really know what yeah. di- you don't really yeah you don't really know what direction they're going in right now. Yeah, and th- th- that's, that whole that's thing what, with her was what, I I. That, I killed that whenever that was. Yeah, yeah, I heard I heard you on that. So oh that's God, what that it's, that's what I mean by it's just been inconsistent. All right, so let's go over to the women. Speaking of on Rampage, we had Rio against Ruby Soho in an Owen Hart tournament quarterfinal. Rio countered a Blade Runner into a great crucifix bomb for a near fall. Soho then hit a backdrop driver and basement kick for near falls. Soho finally hit Blade Runner for the one two three to win in nine minutes. They bowed to each other after the bell. I thought this was one of Ruby's better AEW matches to date, which is no surprise. Rio is obviously very talented, but I said the same thing about Butch beating Kofi Kingston over on SmackDown last week. It's ridiculous that Ruby Soho, who has really fallen off in AEW, goes ahead and beats a former women's champion in the company, and it's not even mentioned in the post-match. The whole point of her beating Rio should, should be to say, hey, look, Ruby's a real contender. She just beat a former AEW women's champion. So I, that pissed me off. One other thing, it's super strange to me I told you guys, I had a lot of comments about the Owen. It's super strange to me that AEW is hardly promoting the actual Owen Hart Foundation. Like every time there's a match, they'll tell people to go to the website and they'll never say anything about it beyond that on TV. No video packages, nothing. I literally had no idea until last night what the Owen Hart Foundation does. So I went to the website and it's legitimately something out of like 1995. The mission is one line and it's that It provides opportunities for hardworking people who have limited resources and unlimited potential. And that seems like a great mission, but it's strange that they're not really promoting the mission or showing video clips of the foundation doing anything or really anything to that degree on television. And it was also kind of strange to have Martha Hart show up once and then not this week when they had a ton of matches that were quarterfinals and semifinals all on Dynamite. So yeah, I mean, you can discuss whatever you want here, but I just had to say that. No, that's a fair point. I mean, think about the the commercials WWE is doing right now around, I think, Special Olympics, and and they they do the Make a Wish stuff. Like when they partner with a charity, like they talk they about really, what they're doing. Yeah, they go all out about it, and, and you know, because you want to get the good publicity for doing it, you also want to help the the actual charity. Yeah, it feels like that would. I honestly, I did not know what the Owen Hart Foundation was either until you said it right here. So that's a good point. Could, could could highlight that more. So, yeah, look, I'm glad Ruby Soho won. I'm not a real person. You're right that they should have emphasized more that it was a big win over a former champion. Um, but at least the right person won. So that's fine for me going forward. That's fair. I agree with that. On Dynamite, Britt Baker fought Mackie Ito, who was the women's joker for the Owen Hart tournament. Baker hugged her. They were like former partners together. After the bell, she asked her to do a dive. So Ito laid on the ground, but she tried to you know, trick her with an inside cradle that pissed off Baker. Ito stomped her foot and flicked her off. Uh, she later no-sold turnbuckle shots and headbutted Baker, regular and diving style. Part of her gimmick is having a hard head. Baker kicked out, hit a thrust kick, flicked off the camera, flicked off Ito, and won with the lockjaw. After the bell, Tony Storm stood on stage staring at Baker. And I'm actually a little disappointed because that should be the finals, but it's going to be the semifinals, Baker yeah. and Storm. I don't know why they didn't put them on different parts, uh, different sides of the bracket. I like Ito. 
I'll say it was a pretty disappointing Joker given there's other women in the company that could have used an opportunity in this tournament. That's what we've been talking about or I've been talking about on the show. Why bring someone in that doesn't have to qualify and have them just lose? It happened in both matches on this show. That's really disappointing to me. Other than that, it was nothing to write home about from the segment. It's been a poor women's tournament. Again, better than Queen's Crown because me wrestling the women of AEW would be better than the Queen's Crown tournament. But it's also not been notable in any way whatsoever either. Yeah, uh, look, I was disappointed by the Makito appearance. I just she's not my cup of tea. She also hadn't been in the company in like a year. Like they they had to pull up the 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 the, the clip, and it's good that they had it about Makito and uh, Britt Baker teaming up at Revolution in March 2021, <laughs> a full year ago, more yeah. than a year ago. So credit to at least them trying to explain it but like that's another one of those it's the exact same thing that we we said about honestly everything i said about john morrison is the exact same thing here which is you've got a lot of really talented people you could put in this position instead it's just something to make people think hey anything can happen every week and that's that's generally a good thing but it happens all the time you had two of these on the same show and uh neither qualified and both lost yeah. So look, it's yeah. a one, it's a one-off. Hey, whatever. But like, so much of what they do is is all these one-offs, and I would like to see somebody else instead. Makito's not my my cup of tea. I understand other people do like her. That's just my take. On Dynamite, Serena Deeb interrupted a very strange Tony Schiavone in-ring announcement immediately after that match we just discussed. She said Schiavone picked Thunder Rosa over her at Double or Nothing, and she was mad about that. And then she called out Dustin Rhodes for doing the same thing. She then gave the single most generic cheap heat heel line that I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, all your sports teams, they're all failures. All your sports teams are failures. <laughs> she couldn't even name, they're in Houston. Now, I'm not saying that she needs to like know every Houston team. But yeah, you know, the Rockets and, and Texans, they're failures. Like I appreciate her just I appreciate her just getting to the heart of the matter and not like pretending that this is she just straight up going like your sports teams, they're bad. <laughs> like if it was if it was like Jericho doing it as like a joke, then I would have liked it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it it, it, yeah. it could have been funny if it wasn't done in a serious manner. But yeah. it was meant to be a serious insult. And it's just like just like Edge shouldn't be coming out on WWE. And talking about sports teams when Judgment Day is like this dark, brooding thing, having Serena Deeb, a technical wrestler and a savant, come out and make a sports team reference to get the crowd angry at her is just crazy. She got what chance and talked about getting breast implants and shaving her head in WWE. She asked why Dustin said she can't beat Rosa and he didn't answer. Why he couldn't answer didn't make any sense. I'm sure he had his reasons. Why wouldn't he state them? Rosa finally came out. Deeb slapped Dustin. Rosa tried to attack her. He caught her and stopped her from attacking. Why? No idea. She accidentally elbows him in the face. And then Deeb hit Rosa with the title. And Rosa basically no-sold it. She got up on her knees right away with Dustin holding her. This was excruciating. Nothing hit. You almost never hear what chance in AEW. But this completely deserved them. I don't mind the idea of someone being upset that others are predicting people to beat them. But why did she care about it so much that she had to come to the ring 
blast Shivani, call out Dustin. This would have been something that backstage when she saw them, if she made a snide comment, slapped them, that probably would have been okay. But this was terrible. I have no idea why it took so damn long. Even the WWE shots didn't hit. This was one of the worst segments of AEW television this entire year. The booking of Thunder Rosa as champion has been atrocious. The booking of the women's division remains pathetic. Sasha Banks and Naomi are mad that WWE wanted to make them number one contenders for the women's championships for pay-per-views and hold off a tag team title feud for a month or so. Yet the women in AEW deal with so much worse constantly. Guess what? The grass isn't always greener on the other side. I, I got shit. I got so confused at what Serena D was upset about. It 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 was tell me what tell me what it was. I want to make sure I had this right. Oh, you want me to repeat it? Yeah. She well, was so mad. She, she was mad that in talking about the upcoming match with Thunder Rosa for the AEW Women's Championship, that Tony Schiavone and later Dustin Rhodes both picked Rosa over her to win. Okay, because Serena Deeb was talking about the people she was like training and, and 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 talking about everything she's been through, which is a lot. It was just so much. I lost track of what exactly was going on, and look, we don't need to get into it any more than than you just did. But it, it was it was kind of a mess. I it was very much a mess. I got like I said, got completely lost at what was going on, and that was an incredibly weird segment. I don't understand how week after week after week. They can't figure this out. It goes farther back, but ever since Thunder Rosa got the title, literally the next day she doesn't get to cut a promo, and instead we get Vicky Guerrero doing something. That and it's was like so every bad. week, yeah. and it's like every week they're like making it worse. It, it's so strange. Like the 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 storyline of the feud now is now that other people are picking Thunder Rosa. Is is, is Serena Deep feuding with Thunder Rosa, or is she feuding with Dustin? Like what? Exactly. It, it's just it was it was a mess. And since you cut off your own sound drop that you requested. That is one big pile of shit. It was indeed one big pile of shit. By the way, can we take a very brief, because I don't want to waste a lot of time, a very brief look at the champions in AEW right now. You have Hangman Page, who, as we said, has had great wrestling matches, not really great feuds and storylines, right? Uh, we have Thunder Rosa, which has been an abomination of a championship reign so far to this point. Jurassic Express has had pretty good matches, I would say, but no storyline that is worth a shit so far to this point. And your TNT champion, Scorpio Sky, um, is the title itself has switched back and forth like five times over the last six months. And you have a guy who's gone heel face back to heel. And then I guess you have your TBS champion, uh, Jade Cargill, who is a champion and is dominant. And similarly, though, hasn't really had a storyline to sink her teeth into other than the Marina Shafir one, who she basically easily beat, and that match wasn't even good. So all the champions right now in AEW are really in a bad way, as far as I'm concerned. So when we get to double or nothing, I think at least one, if not two title changes absolutely need to happen on that show. Yeah, I, the title scene very much needs a reset in, in a lot of different ways, and I think they can do that. I, th I think it's possibly set up to do that. But yeah, the, the championship feuds are the ones... That's supposed to be the biggest thing on your show, like week in and week out. That's what everything should circle around. Instead, we're circling around Young Bucks, Hardy's feud. We're circling around 
William Regal doing stuff. Uh, you got a, 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 another tag team going on. You've got the, the Owen Hart tournaments going on. The, the belts barely matter right now because there's just like, it, 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 the most important people are, are generally not involved yeah. in the pictures, which is strange. The world title feud is good and it's getting better. It's, it's yes. getting, it's approaching uh, deserving, but we're only a week out. The rest of them don't, re- don't care. I just don't. I'm just being honest. Uh, yeah. On Rampage, Jade Cargill and the baddies came out for an interview. Tony Schiavone announced that Akara Shida can't compete in an Owen match. Sterling and Red Velvet uh, basically said that she should advance automatically. Shivani said Shida will be replaced by Chris Statlander instead. They all talk shit to each other on Dynamite, but nothing was notable. So obviously Stat is going to win this, I presume, and potentially feud with Cargill for the TBS title after the tournament. The question is, if Stat wins, do they have her win the tournament? We'll find out. Uh, she really should be the one to take off the title from Jade, though. If it was up to me, if I was booking it, Statlander beating Jade makes a lot of sense. I think so. Yeah, I... I uh... Yeah, kind of. I, I mean, like the, the Red Velvet Statlander promo that they did on Dynamite was not, it was bad. It was re- both sides. I was not impressed with Statlander, who I usually really like. So maybe that was just kind of a one-off performance, but that was not one where I was like, oh, she needs to be champion. So I don't know. A couple more things before we get out of here with AEW, at least. On Rampage, Billy Gunn held a meeting with the Gun Club and the Acclaimed. He said they need hand gestures and a catchphrase. His sons kept suggesting stuff that was D-Generation X-based. The Acclaimed suggested their own stuff that wasn't, you know, unique for the group. Gunn rejected his son's ideas and liked the Acclaimed's ideas instead. Then he said he got them a match. They celebrated, um, but he said, actually, it's on elevation, and they celebrated anyway. I got to say, I really thought I was going to hate this, and it's been a couple of weeks where they've been building to it, but I'm kind of loving it because... It's completely goofy, completely tongue in cheek. None of them really have anything to do. This is what you do with low carters and appropriately starting them off on elevation is also the right thing to do. So I'm not sure what the end goal here is other than maybe we end up with a tag team feud between the four guys. But look, I got to be honest, it's entertaining and it's working. Yeah, I I like both these teams. I like the gun club. I love the acclaimed. I, I think they are burgeoning stars. Would, obviously, you'd like to see them on more than eleva- uh, elevation, but there's again, there's so much going on elsewhere. There's not really a, a spot. So the acclaimed uh, are yeah, an example. The, sorry to interrupt. The acclaimed yeah. are an example of rotating talent. They were on mm-hmm. screen a lot. They got title yes. matches. They got singles matches against key people. They were utilized for a, a number of months for for a period of time, and now they're being rotated down, and then they can get rotated back up again. That is the way you properly do it with someone. Just wanted to use that as an example. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yep. No, no, I I agree. I agree. To- totally. So yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, this was fun. I, I, I enjoyed it. And lastly, on Rampage, Mark Sterling backstage said the scheduled match with Hookhausen is not happening because he's a lawyer, not a wrestler. Tony Nee said it's okay. He can beat them two on one. I like the short storyline here. It's fine for a low card. It doesn't belong on a pay-per-view. And this being on the pre-show, it's going to get a huge pop from the fans because Hook and Danhausen are going to be together. That's fine. But it's really taking the spot of you should put one of those eight, six or uh, 10 man tags on the pre-show is really what should be happening. That that last part is true. The, the big tag should be on the pre-show. It's exactly what the pre-show is for. Um, but I will credit that that AW has been building the Hookhausen thing for several weeks. It's gotten progressively better as it's gone on. I, I, I'm enjoying it. The crowd's going to love it. So, uh, yeah, no, obviously not much, not much advancement here. but. Um, 
really, honestly, as we're talking about it, I think AEW's doing a much better job with its low card than it is than it is with the mid card, and certainly than with the title scene. It's a relatively fair argument. I'm not completely sure I, I agree, but I can tell you they're doing a better job with the low card than they are the women's division. I can promise you that. Yes, absolutely. All right, so that is it for AEW. I appreciate Chris joining us for that. The Silver King will continue solo, talking about everything that went down this week in NXT as it continues to build towards In Your House. So on NXT, let's lead with the main event. Tony D'Angelo fought Santos Escobar. The mobsters backstage kind of like commiserated about how to best take care of Escobar. Later, Escobar said D'Angelo wanted to be just like him, but couldn't be. He said Legado del Fantasma wouldn't be by his side. Legato argued, but Electra Lopez said emotions can't get in the way of business. Escobar said the guys know exactly how they can help. Later backstage, Idris Anofe and Malik Blade were dressed up impersonating Escobar and D'Angelo. The goons took offense and challenged them to a match next week. Anofe and Blade, they can be corny and they have been corny plenty of times, but they do seem to work well together. And I like that they've been put together as a tag team. I think that Anofe in particular has a future in WWE. But if Blade's with him and they figure out a way to make it work together, then that's great. Uh, This was the main event, as I said. Normal back and forth action here. D'Angelo went on a run late with three belly-to-belly suplexes. They stood on the top rope together with Escobar hitting a huge avalanche hurricanrana. Audio suddenly went out uh, for me, so I don't know about you guys, but I suddenly couldn't hear what happened for a long stretch. D'Angelo, despite taking offense, rose first. He went looking for his crowbar, but couldn't find it by the steps. Legato laughed because they had stolen it and they were holding it on the uh, ramp, you know, that, that D'Angelo saw them. The goons attacked them. The referee got distracted. Escobar then hit D'Angelo with brass knucks that he had tied to the ring apron for the win. Escobar then stepped over D'Angelo in disrespect after the bell. I'm not always a, a fan of Schmaz finishes, but when you're talking about a fake mafia and a fake cartel with both sides attempting to cheat to win in a heel versus heel match, it works. It's totally fine. It was great to see Escobar and Legato outsmart D'Angelo's crew for a change. I thought it was going to be an obvious win for D'Angelo, so it made it even better for me that Escobar actually went over in a key match for a change. More of that. I talk all the time about Legato. They should be on the main roster. And if this ends with a six-man that sends them to the main roster, that would be great, and I'd be totally fine with it. But this has been entertaining. Very D-movie level entertaining, but nevertheless entertaining. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams fought Cameron Grimes and Solo Sokoa. Williams came out in a whoop that trick t-shirt that is really problematic to say the least. I mean, for anyone knows what whoop that trick means, it means beating up your girlfriend, basically, when they get out of line. That That's so inappropriate as a slogan, even though his name is Trick, and I, I know that's why they're using it, it's the base of the phrase is not good and shouldn't be on television. Now, if they added a comma, whoop that, trick, then that works because it'd be the fans telling trick to whoop the asses of the competitors. But trick in this instance is used to mean a woman, a girlfriend, a, a, you know, a potentially a, um, a prostitute in many ways. That's not good. So please stop wearing the shirt. Please stop wear- using the phrase unless it is going to have a comma. And I'm not trying to get all grammatical on you, but unless they're going to turn the phrase to mean what it should, which is, hey, trick, whoop that ass. Go beat up your opponent. And again, without the comma, that's not what it says. Anyway, Sokoa also got an updated entrance. This opened the show with really good action both ways. Sokoa tagged himself in and hit a big Uranagi on Hayes. 
Brian's nail trick with the cave-in. Sokoa hit the Uso splash on Mello for the win. Very strange to have Solo pin Mello when Trick was in the match and was the clear fall guy out of the four. So I don't know why they did that. It seemed completely unnecessary. Sokoa stole, then handed Grimes the title after the bell. Entertaining start, solid match with three top wrestlers on the brand and Trick, who is still developing, but is steadily improving. So good for him. Uh, Duke Hudson said he took a few weeks off to clear his mind. He realized no one could measure up to him, but he got interrupted by Braun Breaker, who was walking by and... Hudson basically didn't continue his promo as Braun told production to hit his music. It was kind of cool the way he did that. Breaker comes out to the ring saying Joe Gacy has two guys doing his bidding and Gacy should have finished the job because Braun doesn't want to beat him now, but knock him unconscious. Gacy appeared on the crow's nest with his typical promo and people were chanting, shut the hell up to him. He challenged, Breaker accepted. Gacy then got animated and was actually entertaining for a moment before suggesting a stipulation of Braun losing the title if he gets disqualified in their match. Breaker accepted again. This feud cannot end soon enough. My interest level at this point, it's negative. It's like when Kramer test drove the Volvo past empty and the indicator broke off. My tank, there's nothing in it. It's bone dry on this feud. And NXT is sputtering because of it. It is the main feud on the show and it's terrible. Again, Breaker is coming off beating Champa and Dolph freaking Ziggler, and they've thrown him into this absolute no-win shitfest. Really bad decision-making by NXT here, not just with the Gacy feud, but with the way Gacy is being booked. And then let's keep going. So Hudson confronted Breaker in the parking lot, angry about being interrupted earlier, and threatened him. Braun suggested they fight. Hudson said they'll do it next week. It would have been nice to get Hudson in a title feud with Breaker after Gacy finishes up, so it's a little disappointing that they're just going to basically throw it away in a non-title match beforehand. And that's something that is happening again on the show. But then at the end of this program, Gacy cuts a manic promo about Breaker losing control of himself and Gacy gaining control of the NXT title, the brand, and the world. And the promo itself wasn't terrible, but it was shot from a rooftop patio of a luxury apartment building in Orlando as a drone flew overhead taping it. Like, I hate the shit with Gacy on its own. But trying to sell me on this guy having some crazy grand plan and taping it from a rooftop patio with nice furniture on it, it's the completely wrong aesthetic. Why was he there? You know, just to do the drone shot, you couldn't have done it from a field or scaffolding or a farm or anything else. Of all the places that they've shot things from already, why the fuck would they do it on top of what looked to potentially be a luxury apartment building. It makes absolutely no sense. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. And it is not getting over. Moving on to the women, Indy Hartwell cut a taped promo about going from the top of the mountain to rock bottom. She said she's flying solo for the first time in her career, noting that previously she had a best friend or, you know, a husband, or she was, of course, in a group. So since all the pressure is now on her, she wants Mandy Rose in the women's championship. It was actually a pretty solid promo, all things considered. But the match is going to happen next week without the title on the line. Why wasn't this the booking for In Your House? I don't understand that either. Toxic Attraction were later shown getting angry watching a post-show promo from the KCs that they cut last week. They all agreed they needed to make sure respect was put back on their names. This was fine too. The booking should probably be a six-man and then the two title matches. 
It's long past due at this point for Toxic Attraction to drop the championships. So I have no idea why Rosen Hartwell next week is non-title when In Your House is coming up. But hopefully the Toxic Attraction match against the KCs, hopefully that at least leads to a title change. Pretty Deadly were sarcastic backstage, asked if they were worried about the Creed Brothers challenging for the tag team titles. There was really nothing to it, but I couldn't help but think how their gimmick would basically work in any era of wrestling. There's just something about them that is unique and different, and when they're on screen, you kind of just have to watch them. So we got the match, Creed Brothers against Viking Raiders, Julius dropkicked Ivar outside, and then Brutus jumped off the top rope for a cannonball, but neither of the Raiders caught him, and he landed, squatted on his feet on the ground. That could have been bad for his knees, his ankles, but luckily he was totally okay. Ivar hit a huge slam on Julius from the middle rope. Julius then leapt up and tried to catch Ivar in a superplex, but got thrown off. Ivar missed a splash, but Eric broke a pinning combination. The big boys then knocked each other out. When Damon Kemp distracted the referee and Roderick Strong ran into the ring, Julius caught him running into the ring and threw him through the ropes. The Raiders then blasted Julius with a roundhouse kick and a double powerbomb for the win in 13 minutes. After the bell, Diamond Mind all argued with each other in the ring, and then later backstage, they continued arguing, with Strong saying they needed to follow his lead if they wanted to beat Pretty Deadly. Strong sent Kemp after the Creeds when they left, and then Pretty Deadly stepped up to talk trash to Strong. Strong said he and Kemp would fight them next week. So first of all, this was an absolute banger of a match, and I am not exaggerating when I say that. Big meaty man slapping me. I gave it 3.75 stars and a B plus, plus 4.5 slabs of beef. There's a lot of beef out here. Everyone got over. Everyone looked good. But while the match was strong, the booking is so confusing. Why put the Creeds in a title match in your house only to have them lose to the Raiders two weeks beforehand? Why bring Damon Kemp into Diamond Mine only to seemingly be running a breakup angle with the other half of the faction? I just don't really get the decision-making or the booking or where they're going. Maybe it's all going to work out at the end, so I'm going to withhold further criticism. But as of right now, it is pretty confusing. Wes Lee learned backstage that his scheduled match against Zion Quinn was postponed because Quinn wasn't medically cleared. Lee was bothered, but motivated by it. Nathan Fraser uh, came up and suggested a good-natured singles match between them. Lee said he didn't want to take his aggression out on Fraser, so Fraser basically said he couldn't wait for the challenge. Let's do it. This was all well done. Before the match, Frazier also got a glimpse of Sophia Crowell backstage as he was walking his way to the ring. So that made made the finish of the match blatantly obvious. So we got Frazier and Lee. This went at a breakneck pace for a couple of minutes. Lee countered a superplex into a falling crossbody for a near fall. Then after more speedy offense, they ran into each other with crossbodies. Wagner booted Frazier in the face after four minutes and 20 seconds for the disqualification. Lee fought back and ate a big boot as well. Wagner then picked Lee up and launched him out of the ring and into the announce table as the crowd chanted, holy shit. It really was an impressive bump, but it was also an unfortunate ending to what had been a super fun match for about four minutes. It was still disappointing. As far as the Cromwell stuff, it's been like two months. They haven't let her speak. They haven't put her permanently alongside Wagner, and they haven't had anyone explain anything about her, why she's there with them, or what the point of this is. Clearly, he's either with her or infatuated with her. So why not tell us? What's the mystery here? Pull the string and let's move on. Also, how insecure is Wagner that someone literally just glancing at her, passing, didn't flirt, didn't say anything, just looked at her and he goes wild. It's not like Frazier made a pass. It's so super strange. 
So anyway, Frazier and Lee, they're walking backstage into that like kitchen type area, frustrated when Sarov says that they had a great match. It ended unfairly, but two men of their size can't really expect to compete with Wagner. Lee took exception to it. Frazier walked away. Then Lee and Sarov basically agreed to a match next week, which I guess means Quinn is out for at least one more week. Everything here made sense as long as Lee actually beats Sarov next week. But I couldn't get past thinking, the way Sarov was presented in a finely tailored suit with jewelry looking like money in NXT, it's exactly how Veer Mahan should be presented on Raw. In fact, you could make an argument that the gimmicks should be switched between the two guys. But that just goes to show NXT presents things many times in a simply better, more cohesive way than the WWE main roster does. A few more things here before we get out of NXT. Grayson Waller had a scheduled match against Andre Chase. Waller backstage put over Tiffany Stratton's chances of winning the breakout tournament, and she asked him to take care of Chase on her behalf. Saray was in the stands as the honorary flag bearer for Chase U, which just continues to be funny. Waller dominated early, but got distracted by the student section, which opened the door for Chase. Waller got thrown out of the ring, but landed on Bodie Hayward. Chase checked on him, but got caught inside with a rolling cutter for the loss. It was a really good short match with a finish that made perfect sense. Plus, like I said, they're continuing the Saray alignment. That's a huge positive. We had Lash Legend against Tatum Paxley in the breakout tournament. Paxley was unable to get Legend on her shoulders, so Lash threw her into the middle turnbuckle, wrapped her leg around the post, and worked the knee. Paxley again failed two times more trying to lift Legend on her shoulders, so Lash hit a huge boot for the win in four minutes. This was an awful match. Not so much the wrestling, but the concept, the way it was laid out by whatever agent was in charge of it. Why the hell is Paxley three times trying to lift someone two times on a bad knee when she couldn't lift them the first time on a healthy knee? And why is she doing the same thing three times in the match instead of actually working offense on an opponent? That did not make a shred of sense. Whoever the agent was here made Paxley look like an absolute moron with the way that this was laid out. This is and it was truly terrible. The other breakout match we got was Roxanne Perez against Kiana James. James delivered a really poor scripted tape promo right before the match. The crowd was completely behind Perez with a Roxy champ. Perez hit a code right out of the corner that they're calling the Pop Rocks for the win in five minutes and 20 seconds. First of all, great finisher name. Secondly, a much, much better match than the first one. Roxanne needs to win this entire thing. I have a feeling it's going to be Nikita Lyons, but it really should be Roxanne. Cora Jade celebrated with Roxanne backstage, refused to answer questions about um, what's next for her because she said the focus should be completely on Roxy. Electra Lopez uh, interrupted and said she's going to be fighting Alba Fire next week. Then she talked trash to the baby faces and brushed them off as competition. It was strange without an obvious direction for them to have that interaction, but I do like when random people interact backstage. And the idea of Perez and Cora Jade both being youngsters, I believe they're both born in 2001. They tweeted something about that. By the way, even saying that, that people are born um, this century makes me feel super old, but I could see them working as a tag team, but there is no reason for NXT to make them a tag team if they don't call the KCs up because they're just going to be way too similar to each other. So please, for the love of all that is holy, if the Casey's don't win the tag team titles from Toxic Attraction, please call them up finally to the main roster. They are ready. They've been ready. And the main roster clearly needs tag teams. Just ask Sasha Banks and Naomi. 
Thea Hall made her first appearance on TV showing training footage from the Performance Center. She explained that she's 18 years old and still in high school and WWE is letting her train while she goes to college. That's all very impressive, by the way. She's also already appeared on Level Up. So super cool for her. I don't really know why they put her here unless like they're actually going to debut her on television and do like a storyline about her going to college and working in WWE and have that be like something that is frequently featured on television. But if they feel she's ready, she has a really good look. And I just think it's really unique that all of this is not just kayfabe, but reality. She's legit 18, legit still in high school, legit wrestling on level up and maybe soon wrestling on the NXT show while she's attending college. All of that super, super impressive. And that's really it for the show. The last thing to talk about with NXT is they made an announcement that they're going back on tour with eight house show dates in the state of Florida through the end of July. That is so badly needed for all of these young talents because they have to get reps off of television. The first two dates are actually going to go down in the Tampa area. I'm going to be in the same location during those dates. I may stop by for one of those shows, but I'm going to be with people on vacation. So I'm not exactly sure if I'm going to, but it is great to see the Florida Loop kind of returning and allowing a lot of these young talents to get reps. It is sorely needed and it's going to help them when they're on television. So that is it uh, this week from NXT. I didn't really have an overall theme or take on the show. A lot of good. There was definitely some bad mixed in as well. I would say that NXT, you know, if you're doing an apples to apples comparison, it was probably better start to finish than AEW this week, but not by much. Both shows just lacked that, you know, thing. That one thing that you can sink your teeth into and say, I'm going to remember this episode for the next month or so. Neither of them really did that. Both were just kind of kicking the can forward. Uh, AEW for Double or Nothing and NXT, of course, for In Your House. Uh, But that is it really from today's show as we have now broken down everything that went down across the last week in AEW and NXT. We will be back, same bat time, same bat channel next week with this podcast. It will be the Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview Show. So you do not want to miss that. We will, of course, have Double or Nothing Instant Analysis and a live show on Twitter Spaces that you can access by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will talk much more about that next week. Our next show here, though, for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast comes Tuesday when Chris rejoins me to break down all things WWE as it continues to build for Hell in a Cell at the beginning of June. Uh, But that is it for today. A reminder, do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast And we would really appreciate it if you head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify to leave five-star ratings along with five-star reviews on Apple as well. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining me. With all of that out of the way, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstone, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.